Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. As you know, it's kind of become our habit is our, our scripture reading. And this morning we're going to be reading out of Revelation chapter 5. Um, and I'll go ahead and, and, and read it for us this morning. In verse 1 it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, and with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God for every tribe and language and every and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in the heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worship may God bless the reading of his word this morning what we sort of have here in uh this chapter is, is John taking us on a tour of heaven. Revelation 4 and 5 uh, constitute two parts almost to one vision, uh, and, and that's a vision of heaven. And heaven to the book of Revelation and really to the entire New Testament, it, it's not some uh, out of this world, like up there beyond Alpha Centauri, uh, untouched universe. Heaven to the book of Revelation is amongst us. It is where God dwells and reigns, and it is invisible to, to our sinful, broken world. But it is on the move to come into this world to take over more and more and more. And what John wants to do is to take suffering people who are hurting, who are discouraged about life as it is, and guide them almost to the activity of what heaven is right now. You see, a Richard Bauckham notes in his commentary that the original readers and audience of the book of Revelation uh, would have had a life that was surrounded by images of the Roman Empire that would have told them over and over again about what was real, what was central, and what was worthy of their adoration in the world. And John wants to purge that with the true center of the universe, the true meaning of what our, our, our emotions should be adoring. And that's the center of heaven. 
And so what I want to do with you this morning is uh, maybe a little bit different than how we've typically done, but almost take you on a little guide through the vision that John has in heaven, almost like Charles Dickens does when he takes Ebenezer Scrooge like out of his life to look at his life so that he can have true perspective on his life to be able to go back into his life. John wants to take you out of this world to actually see the future and the present reigning realities of this world so that you can go back into this world, into the midst of suffering and pain with confidence and joy. So here's the signposts of sort of the guided tour. He wants you to weep, and then he wants you to look, and then he wants you to sing. First, he wants us to weep. Did you notice this in verse 4? He says, I began to weep loudly. Now why? Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Okay, now what's he talking about? Well, if you look at the first three verses, one through three, the dominant theme is the scroll. It says it eight times that there's somebody who has a scroll in their right hand. Now we know from the book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel that what the scroll is, is the divine plan of God for justice and reconciliation in this world. Now what the scroll contains is God's forever plan on how things in this world will be made right, how evil will not win the day, how evil will not get away with things, who justice will be laid out on, how it's going to be executed, and when it will be done. On the scroll is essentially the answer to every why question you've ever had for God. When you've looked out into the world and gone, why? The answer to that is on that scroll. But the thing about the scroll is it says it is sealed. Did you notice in verse 2? It is sealed seven times. Now remember, in the book of Revelation, seven is the complete perfect number. And what a king would do is is, is commonly a king would have a scroll that had his decree for his people. And it was held only to him. So he would take hot wax, pour it on the rolled up scroll, and seal it with his insignia, meaning it was only available for him to read and execute. And this scroll, it says it's sealed seven times, perfectly complete. It is unopenable, which means there is no budging on God's judgment. There is no simple plan for justice. It is only openable by him and him alone. And so John sees this scroll, which he longs to have answers for because he's suffering on Patmos and all of his friends are dying for this faith. And then the angel asks a question which should make the hair on the back of our head shudder. He says, who is worthy to open this scroll? And the silence is deafening. Which means this. There is evil in the world. And either it's going to win the day. Or God's justice is going to be so 
intense. No one will survive. And so John just weeps. Because he looks out on the world and he just thinks, what can happen to make sense of all of this? I wonder if you've ever felt that. Have you, have you ever looked out into the world at some of the things that have happened and really let yourself enter into that? Just take a minute with me. Maybe even close your eyes and feel these things. The Equal Justice Initiative several years ago discovered 700 names of people who were lynched and murdered in their grand jury hearings and all the evidence was just totally destroyed. Which means these people were tortured, killed, it was covered up and they wanted no record of anything that had ever happened. And that went on for 50 years. You know, three out of four assault cases sexually are never reported. Which means three out of four people, evil just goes on. Do you, do you ever think about the attempts on genocide that have happened in the last century alone. And how nothing has been done. Can you live in a world where that happens and there's no answer for it? I mean, even Nietzsche said that the only way to survive suffering and injustice is to get an answer for it. And there's no answer for it for John, and he just weeps. And you need to weep too. Now, when, when those moments come up, especially in American culture, we almost immediately have a reaction where we just don't want to enter in. We don't want to go there. And so we numb it with the next TV channel or Netflix or just scroll across the next thing on our phone. We just switch from Facebook or Twitter to Instagram to see somebody's great life to make it go away. But look, every time that we avoid staring into the sadness, we really are minimizing our humanity moment by moment by moment. And actually what this chapter does is show you that the real trajectory of joy that ends in, in chapter 5 begins here with the weeping. Have you, have you ever met somebody who had a pretty nice, comfortable life, but you thought they were superficial? You thought they just kind of faked over the big things of life. You know why they're that way? It's because every time something sad has come up, they've suppressed it. And the real mirage of that life is that while they may have uh, an admirable, comfortable life, it's never going to be full of joy. And you know who taught us this better than anybody was, uh, was Pixar and the movie Inside Out. Do you remember this movie 
where, where what if feelings had feelings? And uh, there's a, the main character is Joy, played by Amy Poehler, and uh, her whole job is to just make this child happy. She thinks just to make the child have a, a wonderful, carefree life. But one of the other feelings inside is sadness, and Joy just wants to keep sadness away from everything. Don't, don't touch anything. And so as the movie goes on, sadness actually begins to touch some of her core memories, and Joy every time feels threatened, like, don't do this. Don't bring sadness into this girl's life. It's going to make her life terrible. But something happens about halfway through the movie that changes everything for Amy Poehler. And that, that's that she discovered almost every joyful memory that the child ever had began in sadness. And it's amazingly biblical because if you've ever wondered why in the world did God let these hard, terrible things happen in this world, look, we, we don't know. But there's got to, to be something to it that says the joy and celebration we will one have will somehow be better than if there'd never been any sadness. And actually the first stop for the joy and celebration of heaven, it begins with weeping. And we need to stare into the world the way it is and to weep with John. But secondly, he doesn't just weep. The second thing he does is he says, look. Because after he weeps, it says in verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open its scroll and its seven seals. The angel says, look. The ESV says, behold. This is the overwhelming command of the book of Revelation that we need to look. Remember, things are not as they seem. There is always a cloud of sin and of separation into the way God is remaking and renewing this world even amongst us right now and around us. And he says, look into what he is doing. See that there is hope. And he says, the one who can do this, there is one who is worthy. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of Jesse. Now this comes from Genesis chapter 49 and Isaiah chapter 11, which are two prophecies of one to come who will look at the brokenness and pain of this world and deal with all of the evil and restore the marginalized and put things back into the way they were meant to be. And you, you think about this language, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of Jesse. I mean, John had to hear that this is who it was and to think for sure this is the one who is worthy. And when he hears there is one who is worthy, he had to turn in some hope. Did you see I mean, any of the Marvel movies? There's an amazing moment uh, about halfway through the 22-movie saga where they are in Robert Downey Jr.'s apartment in New York City, and they're sitting around actually kind of having a casual night 
hanging out. And uh, one of the superheroes, Thor, who's from another world, has, it's, it's a comic book, so in, indulge me for a second. He's got this ha- hammer. I don't even know how you pronounce it. But it's this hammer that's sitting on this table, and he dares everybody to try to pick it up. And these are the strongest, you know, uh, superheroes in the world, and nobody can pick it up. Nobody can move it, and he says, well, you're all not worthy. None of you are worthy. And so the, the movie saga goes on and on and on, and it gets to the last movie. And they're in the battle of all battles, where they think the world is going to end and evil is going to win the day. And Thor himself is actually about to be killed. And all of a sudden, you're watching this scene. And the hammer, his only weapon that was only wielded by him because he's the only one who's worthy, gets up and moves across the screen. And Captain America can wield it. And everybody in my movie theater just jumped up and screamed. Because everybody was saying, he is worthy. And John hears that there is somebody who could do this. And he looked and he, he had to expect to see Captain America. But the text says, he turns in verse 6. And he sees the lamb who was slain. He had to look and think, this is the one who can solve it all. And it's lamb chops. And there's two Greek words for the word lamb. One of them is the, what the Apostle John uses when he says, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world in the gospel. But this is a Greek word that means a baby lamb. It's Mary's baby little slain lamb who he sees as the one who is worthy and able to solve God's eternal divine plan of justice in making sense of the evil and pain of this world. He had to be dumbfounded. I mean, this is the twist of all twists. How can this be the answer? But what John is telling us in the most vivid way is that the answer to every one of our tears, the answer to every one of our problems, the answer to everything that we're confused about in this world is Jesus on the cross. Because when he turned and saw the slain lamb, what he saw was his friend who he had followed around and done life with and remembered that he had died. And God is now showing him that your friend, do you remember when you saw him up there and you walked away and you abandoned him? It was in that moment that the scroll was being opened. And everything in this world was being solved. See, if you ever want to know with confidence whether or not God is dealing with the injustices and pain of this world, look no further than the cross. And it brings healing for the entire world for justice and it brings healing for us personally with forgiveness.
Here's what I mean. Here's what it does for us, the world. Look, if it had only been the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the way to solve the problems in this world is for God to just send military wrath, then what that would do is it would make all of us subject to obliteration. See, enter into this dilemma for John. If there's no lion and God just accepts everybody, well, even Nietzsche, he says, look, we, we can't live in that world. But if it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the way to put away evil and to solve all these problems is just to have a military leader come and subdue everybody who has done any injustice in this world. You know what that means? It means that the hell of gang violence is the only hope we have in this world. You, you know what the philosophy of gang violence is? is, is gang violence looks at the atrocities of this world and pain that has been laid out on loved ones and close ones and says the system will do nothing about this. If we just entrust ourselves to somebody to fix this, nothing will happen. And so we've got to do it ourselves. And so if God executes his way of solving the world only through that, here's what will happen. Everybody who hates him will think that's the only way to solve anything in this world. And we'll believe that everybody who's done something wrong, we have to take up the sword and follow his way. But what the slain lamb does is he confronts evil. He pays for all of the evil. You know, if you have received evil and injustice in this world, Jesus' death is God's guarantee and stamp across this universe that the heart of God cares about that being made right. And Jesus has paid for that. And most brilliantly, he will end the evil and end that spiral of retaliation by laying his life down. I gotta keep giving you images because this is an image-driven chapter to sort of illustrate this. And I've never seen it better than uh, Clint Eastwood did, did for us several years ago. He had this movie called Gran Torino and in the movie, He's this crotchety old, old man, which Clint Eastwood is in every movie. But he, he moves in uh, to this family. And it's uh, this little boy, uh, this teenage boy, Tao, lives next door. And Tao is caring for his family. And uh, the problem with Tao is that he is uh, picked on by this one gang. And they keep uh, recruiting him to be in the gang, but Tao doesn't want to be in the gang, but he's caught up in this uh, hellacious cycle. 
Because if he won't join the gang, then they threaten his family and they beat him up and they'll torture him. But if he does join the gang, they're going to make him do all these evil, terrible things that will ruin his life and ruin other people's lives around him. So he's got to get out. It's this gang. It will do no good because what it will do is just set up Tao's family to be attacked forever by other people who are involved in the gang who want retaliation for their loved and dear brothers. They're stuck. What does he do? So to solve the problem of evil, what he does is he, he calls on the gang. He calls the police one night. And he says, come to this residence. And he drives up to the residence and he uh, calls out the gang out of their house dares them to take him on. They start talking back and forth. They draw their weapons. And Clint Eastwood reaches in his pocket what they think is for a weapon, but it's just a lighter. And he flicks it, and they all open fire on him and kill him. And then the cops drive up. Because he had no weapon, it's murder. And they're all going to go to jail for the rest of their lives. And what he does is he solves the problem, not through taking up the sword, but by laying his life down. And that's what the slain lamb did for the whole world. And it's the only hope we have to get out of this hellacious retaliation of the need for justice. But this slain lamb, it also solves our problem because we don't just have the problem for justice, we also have the need for redemption. Because you and I need to admit something. And that's something that we don't like to do as middle class Americans. And that's admit how we have perpetuated the problem of injustice in this world. You know, as Americans, we are trained with individualism. To say, well, I didn't do it. It wasn't my problem. I, it, it wasn't my life. It wasn't my decision. But all of that would be true if no one ever sacrificed anything for you to get to where you are. I mean, American culture has trained us in this individual life to think that we can go through life without anything impacting anyone else. John Donne, he said it so well. He said, no man is an island. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And look, we have to admit that while we may not have actively added to injustices, there are way too many horrible, tragic things that happen in the world And we just rather not threaten our comfort to get involved. Do you know we're going to answer for that? Do you know you're going to be asked about that? What can be done? The slain lamb. Which both solves the problem of the world and purchases your right to walk into the presence of the throne room of heaven and be received 
not with crossed arms, but with open love. That you will be welcomed. Because the slain lamb, what it does is it puts the demands of justice and the openness of acceptance in one moment. And say, this is how the world is going to be solved. And John is told by the angel to look into that. Look, right now, wherever you are spiritually, if you are somebody who has walked around the church, seen Christianity, but not sure how close you can get to it, what do you want to happen to this world? What do you want to happen to the dark moments of culture? Because I don't know if you'll find anything more beautiful and more wise to solve the problems of both out there and in there and amongst your heart than what the slain lamb did on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you need to look into that. And if you look, what it will do is it will lead you to lastly to sing. Because this is where it goes at the end of the chapter. As John looks... And as he looks and he sees the lamb walk up and take the scroll out of the hand and begin to open it, everyone begins to bow down. And then we're told this in verse 10, excuse me, verse 9, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, to solve the problem of why in the world, God, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And hear this, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Now, the language of kingdom and priests is actually used multiple times in the New Testament, but it picks up on this Old Testament concept. Because what a priest was is somebody who represented the people to God. Somebody who... Uh, went before God representing what the people were meant to be, but as one person. And in the New Testament, it says that what the church is meant to do is be a kingdom of priests. Now, we could spend the whole morning on this, but in a nutshell, it just means this. The moment you believe as a Christian, you're invited to meditate and see the cross of Jesus Christ and then go embody that into the world to make heaven come here. You know, you're, you're being invited right now to go make this world more like heaven and less like hell. And the chorus of heaven is just a song that says, Jesus is worthy. Over and over and over again. And here's how you can sing that into your life. There's two stanzas to begin to sing. Life is upside down and life is a masterpiece. Here's what I mean. Life is upside down. It says this in verse 6 about the lamb. Between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes. Now horns would, would have been this image of immeasurable power, untold strength, 
and the eyes are an image of wisdom, of being able to see and discern and understand things as they are meant to be, which means this, this little slain lamb has immeasurable power and untold wisdom. And it's telling you this. The way to embody power and wisdom in this world is the way of the slain lamb. Because life is upside down. Look, that means the way for us to bring heaven into this world is for you to go low. The way up is down. The way in is out. The way to be rich is to give it away. The way to win is to lose. And th- this is true on a macro level and on a micro level. If you want to begin to bring heaven here, if you want to begin to taste the joy of the world to come, it begins by a bunch of people beginning to live life against the values of this world, against the current of this world that wants to walk over people, that always wants to dominate, that always wants to win, that always has to have their way, that always has to have more, that always has to make sure that you know they're in charge. And heaven is coming here through the throne room of the slain lamb and saying, no, it works the other way around. And majesty and glory in the renewal of this world and the way it's going to be made right are people who begin to look at that slain lamb and say, that's how you live life. There was an amazing moment in Martin Luther King's life where he was preaching and speaking and somebody came and said, there's a bomb at your house. He ran home to his house There were people with guns drawn on both sides of the argument. His family was terrified and in tears and he got up on the steps in front of hundreds of people and said this, do not panic. If you have a weapon, take it home. We cannot solve this through violence and hatred. We must love the ones who hate us. We must make them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in words that echo across time, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that spitefully use you. That is where we must live. We must meet hate with love. Look, I promise you, if you became a people that lived against the values of this world in the way of the slain lamb, people in the South Bay may not love you, but they would know you were different. And that you were not about perpetuating the values of this world, but bringing in a new world. But the other song that you have to sing, if you want to be able to do that one, is that life is a masterpiece. And this is incredible. We're told in verses 12 and 13, it says, With a loud voice there was singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard the creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. I mean, John is seeing something that's going to come into fruition here. 
And he's, it's almost what he's given is a creation account narrative of worship again. He says the whole, every creature in this world is going to begin to echo this loud adoration where every moment is going to get louder and better than the one before that we will finally see that the way of life, the beauty of this world is all found in this slain lamb. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, what, what's really incredible about this vision is the first time that this man died on a cross, nobody was there. But it says there's going to be one day when we will again see him slain on the cross and everyone will worship. Everyone will finally see that this is the most majestic thing that has ever happened in the world. And it means this for you right now. If you begin to sing and take this in, it means the destiny of following the slain lamb is everlasting joy. Because look, Jesus just didn't survive evil. He entered into evil, became a part of it, and then turned it upside down into a song that will give us everlasting joy for the rest of eternity. Because life is a masterpiece that God is writing right now. And you are invited to have hope in that. Listen, to know that the evil things that happened will one day be turned upside down on their head as clear as the Resurrection Sunday did to Friday at Calvary. And it's, it's telling us that the Monday of the new heavens and new earth is going to end in a dance. That movie I told you about the, Captain, uh, the Marvel movie, the last one. It's a 22-movie saga. And this is so beautiful how it ends. Because one of the other narratives is that uh, Captain America, at the very beginning of all these movies, he has this uh, lady love, Maggie. And uh, they begin to develop feelings for one another. And they say, our first date is going to be a dance. But it doesn't happen because he's got to sacrifice his life and save uh, the world from some disaster. So over the next you know, bunch of movies, again, they have these almost interactions where it seems like they're going to be together, but they can never quite get together. And so this entire dramatic movie happens over multiple, multiple movies where there's evil and evil is thwarted and the world is solved and everything sad comes untrue. And what happens after the world is put right is that Captain America has all these options and what he wants to do is he wants to go back and find his love and have a dance. And the entire thing ends just with the two of them dancing 
wherever you are this morning, don't you want the world to end that way? Where everything sad and disturbing you've ever experienced promises you one day that all of the almosts will finally end in the arms of somebody who will love you and hold you and say, it is well with my soul forever. Because that's the promise of Revelation 5, that we will sing it forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, that we could sing this song, that we could hold on to that truth, that we could embody Lord, this in bring more and more of heaven here into this world. Would you help us through the power of the gospel, Lord, to follow Jesus on the cross, that it is the way of power and wisdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.